This is Naima Novetsky from TanahStudy.com. In our last class, we began our study of Parashat Bahar, looking at the concept of sacred space and discussing the reason behind the placement of the mitzvot of Shemitah and Yovel at the end of Sefer Vayikra specifically. Today we'll focus on the first seven verses of the parasha, which speak about the sabbatical year. First, we'll delve into the verses. Then we'll speak about several different understandings of the mitzvah. And finally, end with a brief discussion of how Shemitah is observed in the present. So starting with the psukim themselves. Verse 1. Hashem spoke to Moshe at Mount Sinai, saying, Daber al you shall speak to the children of Israel and tell them, When you come into the land which I am to give you, then the land shall keep a Shabbat for Hashem. Our unit opens with the words, when you come to the land, teaching us, as we mentioned last class, that this mitzvah is one of the mitzvot tatriyot ba'aretz, a mitzvah dependent on living in the land of Israel. We're told in general terms that the land will rest and that there will be a Shabbat for Hashem. The following verses then elaborate, explaining what this entails. Verse 3. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Shabbat of solemn rest for the land, a Shabbat for Hashem. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. Our verses are reminiscent of the command to observe the weekly Shabbat. Besides the explicit allusion to Shabbat by calling the year a Shabbat Shabbaton, both commands mandate not only resting on the seventh day or year, but also working on the six previous units of time. By us we read, Six years you shall sow your field. By Shabbat, there's a parallel command. Six days you should work. The next verse, verse 5, adds to the prohibitions. What grows of itself in your harvest you shall not reap, and the grapes of your undressed vine you shall not gather. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. Even things which you yourself have not sown, but which grew of their own accord, you may not reap. The unit then closes with the positive aspects of the command, teaching us that whatever food grows during the year should be for all to eat. Verse 6. The Shabbat of the land shall be food for you, for yourself, for your servant, for your maid, for your hired servant, and for your stranger who lives as a foreigner with you. Verse 7 then continues, For your livestock also, and for the animals that are in your land, for all shall grain be to eat. As we mentioned last class, within the seven verses of the unit that we just read, the root Shabbat as both a noun and verb appropriately appears seven times, while the similar word Shabbaton appears twice more. Our chapter's discussion of Shemitah thus emphasizes its similarity, its similarity to the weekly Shabbat and suggests that perhaps it shares the same goal, 
to recognize Hashem as creator and provider. The verses moreover repeat that this is a Shabbat la Hashem, again suggesting that the purpose relates to promoting recognition of God, presenting Shemitah as a law bin Adam lamakom between man and Hashem. Our verses are not the only place where the mitzvah of Shemitah is mentioned. The laws of the sabbatical year are also found in Shemot chapter 23 and in Dvarim chapter 15. And in both of these chapters, the emphasis is quite different than that in our verses. For the discussions in both Shemot and Dvarim focus on how the year serves to aid the poor, presenting the mitzvah as a mitzvah bin adam lachavira, a mitzvah between man and his fellow man. So, for example, in Shemot 23, we read, V'hashvi'it tishmetena unetashta, v'achlu evyonei amecha. But in the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. According to this verse, the purpose of having the land lie fallow is that the poor of the land should be able to eat from it. Though our verses too mention that all will eat from the land, they do not single out how that will help the poor and unfortunate. Zvarim chapter 15 does not speak of the resting of the land at all, but instead tells us about a different aspect of the sabbatical year, the erasing of all deaths. The verses there teach us, At the end of seven years you shall make a release. And this is the way of the release. Every creditor shall release that which he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because Hashem's release has been proclaimed. Thus, the two sets of chapters, our chapter and then Shemot and Zvarim, present Shemitah in two very different lights. As a mitzvah bin Adam lamakom, a mitzvah related to God, the Shemitah year as a Shabbaton Hashem, or as a mitzvah bin Adam lachavirau, a mitzvah between man and his fellow man, centering on Evyonei Amecha, the poor and disadvantaged. What's the relationship between these two different perspectives? Our mitzvah is mentioned in one other context worth noting. In Parashat Bechukotai, in the chapter immediately following ours, we read of the blessings and curses for observance or transgressing of mitzvot. In this chapter, Shemitah gets special mentioned, being singled out as the root cause of the nation's ultimate exile. Verse 34 there reads, Then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths, as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Even then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest even the rest which it didn't have in your Sabbath when you lived on it. We are told that after we are exiled, the land will finally rest and observe the Shemitah years, which were not observed while the nation lived upon it. Unfortunately, we read of the fulfillment of this punishment in the last chapter of Devei Hayamim, which shares that the people did in fact go into exile and the land quote-unquote rested, or at least lay fallow, as prophesied by Yirmiyahu where he tells us that they are there to stay until the land has been compensated for her Shabbatot that the people didn't keep. Reading these verses, we wonder, why is the mitzvah of the sabbatical year singled out? 
Why is its observance so important that the consequences of non-observance are so severe? We'll take a peek at three different views of the mitzvah Shemitah and see how each works with the various verses and explains the harsh punishment. Our first group of commentators focus on the perspective to Shemitah laid out in our chapter in Sefer Vayikra. They suggest that the Shemitah year is intended to remind the nation of Hashem's sovereignty and providence and make them aware of their dependence upon Him. As it is a mitzvah which requires a tremendous display of faith in Hashem, it is an ideal vehicle for strengthening that belief. This position starting point is the description of Shemitah as a Shabbat Hashem. As we pointed out beforehand, the commentators note numerous parallels between the description of the Shemitah year and Shabbat, concluding that both serve as a reminder that Hashem created the world and that He is sovereign over it and all of mankind. The most obvious parallel is, of course, what we mentioned before, the fact that both Shabbat Breshit and the Shemitah year are referred to as a Shabbat. In addition, each of Shabbat and Shemitah revolve around cycles of seven, in which the first six units of time are devoted to labor, particularly working the land, and the seventh to abstaining from it. Both commandments further emphasize the resting of the slave and maidservant. Shadal points to one other important parallel, that just as the Israelites received a double portion of manna on the sixth day of the week in anticipation of Shabbat, so too as we'll read in the next couple of verses, Hashem promises that the land will produce enough in the sixth year to sustain the nation through the Shemitah year. The miracle of the manna was meant to instill in the people recognition of Hashem as provider. Day in and day out, for 40 years, they were miraculously provided for. Rabbi Avi Baumel pointed out that perhaps specifically because of the constancy of the miracle, there was also a danger that one take it for granted. And so, once a week, each week on Shabbat, the manna did not fall, reminding the nation that the manna was a gift of God, that they must appreciate it. It's possible that to some extent, Shemitah is supposed to teach the same lesson that the miracle of the manna and the once-a-week break from manna was meant to teach. Now that the nation had moved to Israel and replaced the miraculous existence of the wilderness years with the natural existence of an agricultural society, they needed to be periodically reminded that their sustenance still comes from Hashem. Various commentators draw on this understanding of Shemitah and point to other ways that the year serves to further help people strengthen their relationship to God. The Kliakar and Rav Hirsch point out that in refraining from work, people effectively relinquish their ownership on the land. This helps them recognize that they are mere renters from their landlord, God. Moreover, abstaining from sowing requires extraordinary trust in Hashem and deepens one's faith and dependence upon him. The Akidah Yitzchak further suggests that the mitzvah is meant to move us away from materialism and to remind us that work and riches are not an end to themselves. Our lives are not supposed to revolve only around work and profits. Every so often, we have to stop and serve not the land, but God. He writes, And the intention is that entry into the land is not for the purpose of becoming enslaved to it and to its work, to extract its benefits and to gather its fruits in order to become wealthy. That is the intention of other nations in their lands. Rather, the intention, the intention is to pay attention to oneself and demand perfection of character and deed as the Creator wishes. This goal, he says, is accomplished by being forced to relinquish the land every seven years 
and in so doing, to recognize that working on ourselves, not working our land, should be our primary goal. Ibn Ezra and Rav Yosef Bachoshor take this idea one step further and emphasize that the break from work serves a practical function, giving people the time they need to delve into Hashem's Torah and devote themselves to Him. It in effect forces everyone to take a leave of absence so as to devote themselves to Torah learning. Just as one today might take a sabbatical from work and use it to further their education, to do research or the like, being forced not to work the land gives people the time to do all the learning that they never get around to doing when worrying about planting, reaping, and gathering. The year is supposed to be a time when we can devote ourselves not to work, but to getting close to Hashem. This position suggests that even the aspects of Shemitah, which seem to be aimed at providing for the poor, are really lessons in trust and recognition of God as well. In leaving one's produce for all to partake, and canceling all debts, one remembers that it is God, rather than man, who owns everything. By sharing with all, one is also forced to suffice with less, and not to succumb to materialistic desires. Finally, in leaving one's food and being coupled with the poor, one recognizes that all of mankind is equally dependent on Hashem for sustenance. According to these sources, the reason that Shemitah is emphasized in the blessings and curses and is punished so severely is because the mitzvah is so fundamental to belief. Ramban asserts that in not observing Shemitah, one is in effect denying that Hashem created the world. Denying such a fundamental belief deserves harsh punishment. The choice of exile specifically might further be seen as a measure-for-measure punishment. If man assumes that he, rather than God, is the true owner of the land, he needs to be expelled from it in order to learn his proper place. A second approach to Shemitah focuses more on the accounts in Shemot and Zvarim, suggesting that the commandment comes to teach people to have mercy on those who are less fortunate and to emphasize the equality of all mankind before Hashem. It focuses less on the need not to work the land and more on the sharing of produce that is mandated. Rav Avram Sabra suggests that normally the wealthy are complacent in the knowledge that they are well provided for and they rarely think of those who do not share the security. In the Shemitah year, when the rich are forced to abstain from working the land, they learn what it feels like to worry about providing for their families. This teaches them to emphasize with the poor and to care for them, not only during the sabbatical year, but all the time. Shadal further points to the equalizing aspects of having both rich and poor together refrain from work. When everyone rests together, the lines that separate the different classes are blurred. When we forsake our produce, the socioeconomic differences between rich and poor are reduced. For one year, all have the same rights to the crops in the field and all go together to collect their food. This allows the poor to obtain food with dignity. The forgiving of debts plays the same equalizing role in an industrial society that forsaking of crops does in an agricultural one. In addition, in a sabbatical year, where the poor might be harder hit than the rich, cancellation of debts might be particularly helpful. Rav Yosef Prochoshor adds yet one other aspect to the year. Even though most commentators assume that the law that one must free a slave in the seventh year, refers to the seventh year from his sale, Rav Yosef Prochoshor uniquely suggests that the commandment refers to the sabbatical year. If so, 
this granting of freedom promotes another aspect of social equality. Rav Cook eloquently addresses the social welfare benefits of the forced break from agricultural work on the sabbatical year. He speaks of the need for society to find a proper balance between cutthroat competition, which might be quite necessary for industrial growth and progress, with the need to have compassion on the disadvantaged and the poor. He suggests that the Shemitah year provides that balance. In the introduction to Shabbat Haaretz, he writes, that aggressiveness, which is essential to the workings of institutions in the public arena, causes a diminishing of moral sensitivity. The ongoing tension and conflict between the idealistic call to care, kindness and truth, pity and compassion on the one hand, and ruthlessness, coercion, and the pressures of quest for material success, inevitable and essential in daily life, on the other hand, causes a distancing of the divine light from the collective mindset of the nation, a distancing which has the power to lurk with poisonous effect even in the moral world of each individual. Now, the periodic suspension of the rat race, the societal order, can bring a phenomenal boost to the nation when society is morally and spiritually ordered, raising and perfecting the social order. Rav Cook points out, Hashemitah allows everyone to take a step back from the albeit necessary competitive race for progress, industrial growth, and material success, and to focus instead on developing our moral sensitivities and caring for the less fortunate. This approach then focuses how on how the institution of Shemitah helps equalize rich and poor, provides for the less fortunate, and stills in one compassion for the disadvantaged. Rambam brings one last way of looking at Shemitah, which he thinks does not really stand on its own, but is nonetheless an important aspect of the year. He suggests that the sabbatical year might also be about caring for the land, keeping it healthy and capable of bearing fruit. Picking up on the phrase in our chapter, Shnat Shabbaton Yela Aretz, that the sabbatical year is a year for the land, this approach maintains that Shemitah is not only for God or for the poor, but also for the land itself. The seizing from work serves a purely utilitarian function to give the land time to rest and replenish its nutrients so that it can better produce in the future. The fact that the produce is free for the taking might be viewed as a practical solution to the lack of food caused by not working the land. Everyone is entitled to take of the produce that grew, ensuring that all have what to eat. The forgiving of debt is also a practical law. During the Shemitah year, the poor might be more hard-pressed than usual, and so a special dispensation is made to cancel their debts. Many people question this reading, including the Akidat Yitzchak, Abarbanel, and the Kliyakar, pointing out that the many warnings regarding the importance of Shemitah, as well as the harsh punishment for its violation, argue against the possibility that it was instituted solely for practical reasons. One would have thought that the land's lack of production itself would have been the offender's punishment rather than exile. As such, it is likely that this caring for the land might be an, an added advantage of the Shemitah year, but not its primary purpose. I want to end with a short discussion of Shemitah in the modern era. With the return to Israel in modern times, the mitzvah of Shemitah once again, again became relevant, and it quickly became obvious how difficult a law it is to observe. In the early years of the Yishuv, farmers were barely surviving and hardly able to support their families. Proper observance of Shemitah felt like doom. It would have necessitated abandoning hard-fought for kibbutzim and Yishuvim. 
Yet, totally forsaking the mitzvah was out of the question as well. Creative solutions were necessary, leading to Rav Kook's well-known halachic loophole, Heter Mechirah, where one sells one's land to a Gentile for the year, allowing one to continue to work the land without transgressing the laws of Shemitah. Though this is clearly not in keeping with the spirit of the law, it was perhaps the best solution to the problem at the time, and quite similar to other necessary legal loopholes, such as selling chametz before Pesach, or the institution of Puzbal, which gets around the cancellation of loans. Unfortunately, though, the present situation means that for most, the sabbatical year has lost much of its significance. To begin with, we're no longer living in an agricultural society, so there is no sabbatical year from work, no year in which we can abandon our material and physical pursuits to focus on the spiritual. Similarly, since we no longer feel so dependent on the land, and especially since with our legal loopholes, we still work it regardless, the accompanying dependence on Hashem is not emphasized. Rich and poor no longer go together to glean in the fields during the Shemitah year. We instead find their produce in the supermarket, each paying what he or she can afford. And so the equalizing aspect of the year has been lost as well. Like often happens, there's a massive gap between the ideal and the reality. But this should simply make us double our efforts to ensure that somehow we try to maintain the spirit of the law during the sabbatical year as well, even if Shemitah is not observed as it once was. If we can find ways to make the year a spiritual one, to increase our faith, to recognize Hashem as creator, and simultaneously to fill the year with care for the unfortunate and needy, then maybe we can bring a little Shemitah back. In Yerta Hashem, in our next class, we will discuss Shemitah's 